This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. So if you were not here for session one with Dr. Dan Green, we talked about intimacy, intimacy with God. And because we seek to have intimacy with him, it expands out to intimacy with everyone else around us. So now we know that it is possible. God pursues us. He wants us to be intimate with him. But it produces something. It produces fear. And we're reluctant to do that. And we know from our conversations in small groups and discipleship conversations that fear is one of those things that erupts all the time in our lives. So Dr. Dan Green is going to address that with us. If you weren't here in the first session, he is a clinical psychologist. He is the clinical director of New Life Resources in the metro area. And uh, Dan has been married to his wife for 39 years, has a couple children, a couple grandchildren, and is instrumental in reaching men with messages of this type. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Dan Green here. Well, good afternoon. It now is officially afternoon. Yes. <laughs> the sleepy time. One of my fears. No. Um, fears in the life of a man. Don't do it. Okay, we're done. <laughs> When I say the word fear, um, that's not comfortable. What, what do you call somebody, what do you call a guy who's afraid? Particularly like junior high, what do you call them? Sissy, chickens. Hmm? Wimp? Scaredy pants if you're in second grade? None of these are complimentary. All of them you're less than if you're afraid. In fact, at our point in life, a little bit past junior high, we don't let people know, most typically, we don't let people know that we're afraid, but we are. Talk to you in a few moments about why. Renee Brown, who's done a lot of research on vulnerability, on relationship, on belonging, connecting with each other, resolving shame, tells the story of a man who came up to her at a book signing. And the man says uh, to her, you know, I appreciate your message, but why don't you talk about um, these issues with men? And at that point in her career, she was much younger. She said, well, I, I don't research men. I only research women. And he goes, well, that's really convenient. That's easy. He said, those three women, my wife and my two young adult daughters that you just signed their books, they'd rather see me dead than fall off the white horse that they have me on. And Bernie Brown reports, she realized 
That's an experience she hadn't had as a woman. But this man had just revealed to her his fear of not living up to what his wife expected of him or what his daughters expected of him. And his belief that they would rather have him die than disappoint them. When men experience fear, we often will do one of what I call the four A's. We will often just try to avoid the issue. Maybe it'll go away. If I don't open that letter, maybe I won't have to deal with what's inside it. If I don't return that call, I won't have to deal with what we're going to talk about. Many times we avoid. Many times we just have apathy. We act like it doesn't bother us. We put up such a wall of protection around us. We act like I don't care. We don't let anybody close enough to us to know how it's impacting us. It's our secret and no one can get close enough to us. Thus, we have closeness with no one. Sometimes when we experience fear, we aggress. We attack it. We take it out. We get very intentional and very purposeful to do something to overcome it. We try to dominate it. And sometimes we do that with the people in our lives. We become very aggressive with them, trying to dominate them to hide our fear. But maybe the most common reaction that we have is many of us, when we are afraid, we become angry. Something I see daily. When I'm, men who, they look like they're angry, they sound like they're angry, they act like they're angry. But as I talk with them, as they share their story with me, peel back the anger, and they're afraid. Now, they didn't even have words to describe that they were afraid, but they're afraid. Why would a man choose anger over fear? <laughs> well, anger, energy, anger feels powerful. Anger has a focus. What does fear feel like? Threatening, exposed weak, in danger. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I would not have that experience if I had a choice. It's very common for us to respond with apathy or avoidance or maybe aggression and often with anger, trying to get away from this experience of fear. Now, fear is, I want to get away from it, but I can't. Scripture describes us as sheep. Evolutionary psychologists say that we're herd animals. Huh, sounds a lot like sheep, doesn't it? I want to be a cheetah. And if I can't be a cheetah, maybe an eagle. That'd be cool. But I, sheep are not 
what I want to be. What is the defense? What is the protection of a sheep? You don't see them getting out duking it. You don't see them outrunning anything. Their protection may be to be in the middle of the herd. <laughs> the wolf will get the one on the outside. Their protection will be maybe to flee if it's not very far. They really can't fight. They don't fight much. And sheep become dependent on a shepherd. A shepherd will care for them. Well, I want to be a cheetah. I'd like that idea of I'm independent, I'm alone, I'm fast, I don't need anybody to take care of me, I'm cool. I'd like that, but it's not realistic and I can't pull it off. Because I wasn't designed to be a cheetah. I was designed for intimacy. I was designed to know and be known, to be in relationship with my Creator and with others in my life, to be interdependent. And yet many times we want to be so independent, but we can't pull it off. The research on fear with men indicates that what men are afraid of has very little to do most often with physical dangers. Probably no one in here is that worried about a bear attack tonight or a mountain lion attack. Yeah, you know, we're not even worried typically about another human attacking. Physical dangers of fear, that's not really a big part of our life anymore. In fact, there are times, uh, maybe sometimes when we're on a ladder, we ought to be a little more afraid than we are. Or walking across ice, that might be something that is actually physically dangerous. But what are we afraid of? Just the guy sitting next to you, what's he afraid of? Speak up for him. Be the guy sitting next to you. <laughs> what are some of the things that <laughs> What are some of the things that we are afraid of? Not being significant. The research on men indicates this is one of our greatest fears. Not being significant. There's a great line in the first um, movie of Pirates of the Caribbean. The captain says to the, to the pirate, you're the sorriest excuse of a pirate I've ever heard of. He goes, ah, but you have heard of me. <laughs> not being significant. Not being known. What else are we afraid of? Being found out. If you knew me, would you want to be in a relationship with me? If you really knew me, would you still like me? Possibly even love me. Other fears. The unknown. I can't prepare for what I don't know. What's going to happen? I'm out of control. I can't control that. Anger gives us the illusion I'm in control. But there's so much that we have no control over. Other fears. Commitment. Very strong fear. What's the danger in the commitment? 
afraid of being hurt, afraid of being betrayed, afraid of being abandoned, of being unloved. See, we're designed to be in loving relationships, knowing and being known. And if that is not available to us, it damages us. It not only hurts, it does damage to how we're able to live. Other fears. Failing. Failing. Oh, boy, there are so many ways we can fail. Along with failing is not being good enough. A very common fear of men is I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Someone, nearly everyone, does this better, has more of it, whatever it might be. Notice these fears are not about lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. They're about who am I and where do I fit in to the life that I have here? Fear of being alone. Fear of being irrelevant. Fear of looking foolish. Not recognizing others are mocking me. We can play all these things in our mind, never knowing if they're accurate or not. Just the possibility can scare us and start to inhibit us and shut us down. Fear of being helpless. Now, I had the great honor in my, my work of having people share their lives with me in very intimate ways. They share these things with me, but I recognize, like it says in Deuteronomy 19, for I am like them and they are like me. All the head knowledge, all of the thinking through does not remove these fears. I was talking with someone recently, he's 32 years old, he has two PhDs. I don't know why one wasn't enough, but he is two. He does some amazing work. He is internationally known in his field already. At, he's on the top of the world. He's got a wife that just thinks he's amazing. And he has all of these fears. And he can tell himself, I'm at the top in all these, I'm good, I'm loved, etc., etc. And all of that knowledge doesn't remove the fear. Because fear is an emotional reaction that's much more than just a belief. Beliefs influence fear. But I'll tell you right now, if you were to put a snake down here, which I encourage you not to, but if you did, I would have a very, very strong physical reaction. Now the snake might be this long, non-poisonous. You might have taken it out of you know, your pocket where you kept it. And I am going to have a physical bodily reaction because fear is very physical, emotional. It's way beyond just our beliefs. Why do we have a fear response? Well, we're sheep. And we need to be able to identify what's dangerous and to get away from it. We need to reestablish safety when we're in danger. And fear 
motivates us to identify what's dangerous and motivates us to re-establish safety somehow. How do I get safety? Well, that's really helpful, but notice that the things that we struggle with, that we're afraid of, aren't lions and tigers and bears. The things that we tend to be afraid of are a different kind of danger to us. A danger to who am I? A danger to will my God-designed needs be met? My need for significance, my need for being known and knowing others, loved, loving others. Will those be met? That is so often where a man's fears lie. In this spiritual, relational, psychological realm. How am I going to calm those fears? You know, much of what humans do is work on calming. Think about early in life. You got this little person, they're about 22 inches long or so. And they're frequently distressed. And so the parents and any other adults around spend a lot of time trying to calm that person. They're distressed, they sense something's not right. They're wet or dirty or hungry or there's not a lot of options when you're that little. As they age, the parents are finding other ways to help calm them, rock them, hold them, play with them, give them toys they can play with, etc., etc. As we get older, we have to learn how do I calm myself? When things aren't right inside me, how can I calm myself? And a lot of what we do with that is internal. How I think, how I believe, what I tell myself. We wrestle with anxiety continually. Anxiety, we can think of as anticipatory fear. When I'm anxious, I'm anxious for something that hasn't happened yet. Anxiety often has the phrase, what if? What if they think I'm foolish? What if I'm abandoned? And that is terrifying. And to try to protect ourselves, we try to get control. This is where anger can come in. Or we try to avoid it. This is where the avoidance. We try to not care, the apathy can come in. Or dominate it, take it over. What if? Calming ourselves, soothing ourselves. This is where we find ourselves often getting involved in things like the addictions. What can I do to calm myself? What can I do to lessen the distress of the fear? What can I do to give myself relief? Well, we are designed to have calm and have relief. Think of the 23rd Psalm, how it talks about the shepherd is caring for us. Why? Because we need it. We need it. How do I get that calming? How do I get that relief? Fear is a very powerful motivator. In fact, it very often blocks us from getting the very relief we're seeking. 
I recall one time when my son had a splinter. I don't know, he's maybe four or so. And he's thrashing around. You think we were about to amputate his arm without anesthesia. And he's just flailing. And it's amazing how one little four-year-old can take three adults to try to contain. The fear was that strong. The energy was that great. And what was he afraid of? He was afraid of the pain that he didn't know yet. The pain he had was distressing him greatly. But, you know, when they take that knife and slice into my skin and rip out this, I can only imagine how terrifying that was for him. What was intriguing is he's thrashing around and thrashing around with me sitting on him and my wife with the tweezers. And she holds it up in front of him. And he oh, okay. Somebody flipped a switch. As soon as he knew he was not in danger of more pain, his whole body calmed. We are often so afraid of what we don't know, the unknown, of what might happen. I might be abandoned. I might be all alone. I might be exposed. That we have these extremely strong reactions. And they dominate our experience. They take over. But then, when we recognize what's real, oh, calming. How can we get to that point where we can recognize what's real to get the calming? Now, some will say, though, well, wait a minute. Um, I have been betrayed by really significant people in my life. I have experienced abandonment. I have things I'm deeply ashamed of. Uh, I don't want discovered. Um, I've got demands on me I can't meet. There are ways I am inadequate for what's expected right now. Shouldn't I be afraid? All of our emotions are designed to be resolved. They motivate us to make changes. And so what I'm encouraging us to think about as we talk about how do I resolve fear, what changes do I make to bring or reestablish what's safe? How am I going to reestablish safety? There's this tension between I need safety to have and meet my needs for intimacy and closeness, belonging. But I have to be so vulnerable for intimacy, closeness, and belonging that it creates danger. How do I meet my needs? How do I calm myself and have enough safety to do that? And how do I stay in reality doing that? How do I deal with the demands that actually are on me? Apathy, that won't work. Aggression, makes it worse. Avoidance, never goes away, just compounds, gets worse. Anger creates all kinds of other questions. This idea of fear as a helpful part of my human experience, designed in me to help me cope, 
can seem very foreign when we're looking at that sense of being overwhelmed, our needs not being met, etc. Well, I'd like to share with you a personal story about how I have learned to address fear. And it starts uh, when I was quite young. Uh, I was in Oregon doing some backpacking and such. At the time, my girlfriend, now my wife, but at the time my girlfriend was in Europe studying. And um, being young and immature and enjoying the mountains, I wrote her a letter something like, Hi, think I might stay here. Not sure what that means for our relationship. Hope you have a good week. Bye. Yeah, young, immature. <laughs> um, so, and these are the days, of course, of postal mail sent. Takes about 10 days to get there. And then I told her I was going to be out in the wilderness for three weeks. So it's going to be like a month before I'll see anything in response to this. Well, a bunch of stuff happened to me. I had a very different perspective coming back in. But she sent me something that changed my life. She did share that what you sent me, oh, that scares me. But she sent me 1 John 4. I'm just going to read a part of it. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And the, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I was having fears about, well, probably growing up and commitment and being good enough, being significant. I was, and my mindset was, I want to be a cheetah. And I, I can do this on my own. And you know, maybe someday we'll get back together and figure it out. But right now, I got to do this. And this passage spoke to me very deeply that there is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Now, what punishment was I anticipating? Well, in my day-to-day -day life, I was insignificance, overwhelmed. Those kind of inner experiences that I wanted to try to control somehow, rather than to be a receiver and giver of love. So this touched me deeply. And I had my college roommate who was a seminarian. Um, he used his best seminary voice to read this at our wedding. And he read it before I walked out. But he made a, an error that he did not realize at the time. It's on the tape. It's a reel-to-reel -reel tape, just for... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there were cassettes around, probably. But anyway, listen to how he read it. Verse 18. There is no love in fear, but perfect fear casts out love. And I'm sitting, standing just about to walk out, and I'm thinking, 
okay, this is ruined. <laughs> but what a powerful message that was. I saw him last summer again. I said, thanks for screwing up. <laughs> you taught me something really deep there that I've been able to share with a lot of people. This relationship between love and fear. Love cast out fear. Fear cast out love. When I am operating out of fear, I've got my walls up, I'm protecting me, I'm avoiding, I'm apathetic, I'm aggressive, or I'm angry. Fear cast out love. Not just the love of a wife or a child or a friend or a colleague, but also the love of my creator. Fear can cast out love. But let's go back to our list of all the things we are afraid of. We could probably summarize that is, I'm afraid I won't be loved. Being significant, being adequate, good enough, having somebody love me, all, these, all those things that we talked about that we struggle with fear as men. The common theme through all of those, I believe, is I'm afraid I won't be loved. If you knew me, you wouldn't love me. If I'm found out, if I'm exposed, it's over. The antidote is not to be good enough. The antidote is not to be strong enough. The antidote is not to be popular enough, liked by enough people. In fact, we see that as people pursue this through social media, which is where a lot of people are right now are striving to find out that I'm okay, the more social media they use, the more depression they have. Pursuing, resolving, trying to meet the need this way actually makes it worse. There is no love in fear. There is no fear in love. There's a relationship between these two. My friend taught me that day as I was waiting to walk out for the ceremony. We see in Scripture a very interesting concept. Fear of God. And anytime I talk about, say to someone, I'm going to be speaking on fear, they say, oh, what do you do about fear of God? Now, are we supposed to be afraid of him? Well, it's very interesting to think of fear signals danger, but the danger may not be a bad thing. Let me give you two examples. When I was a kid, my grandfather had an amazing horse. We had other horses, um, well, they were at his place. But um, he had this horse that was just beautiful and powerful and strong. And when he was up on it, it was a sight. And we loved to see how this horse could prance and, and et cetera. And he did a little, he had done some competition with and such. Feared that horse. It was awesome. It was amazing. Now, I wasn't afraid like it was going to come over and beat me up or anything. No, the fear was, 
an incredible admiration for this beautiful, amazing creature. Sometimes we fear something in a very positive sense of recognizing how good and powerful and awesome it is. C.S. Lewis gave us a nice metaphorical glimpse of this in the uh, uh, Chronicles Narnia. And I'd just like to read just a little interaction between Mr. and Mrs. Beaver talking with um, Susan here. They're talking about Aslan, the lion, has been sighted. She's trying to figure out, ooh, a lion, what's this about? Is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan a man, Mrs. Be- said Mrs. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I can tell you he is king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. Love is good. Safety may not be good. We avoid a lot of things to get safety. But the problems build up. We need safety, but we need love more. And he is love. So the fear of God recognizes his awesomeness, his amazing power, his amazing goodness. Why does God love me? I don't know. That's his issue. He does. What difference is that love going to make? That's on my side of the equation. For how am I going to open myself to receive what he's offering? And that's our challenge. Well, I'd like to offer you some suggestions on how to bring a resolution to those fears that can plague us. One of the first things we have to do is acknowledge, I'm afraid. I don't like acknowledging that. But I found there are times when I sat down with some of my guys, my peers, the ones that I let them know me and I get to know them. And when I tell them I'm afraid of something, it starts to lose its power. Fear magnifies when it's hidden. When I share with a safe guy that I'm afraid, it 
already starts diminishing the power of fear. In that sharing, I can start to identify what am I perceiving that's dangerous? Is it a true threat against me? Now, there's a fire in my kitchen and I'm afraid. Is that a true threat? Yeah, that could hurt. I better do something about that. Now, that's kind of obvious. I don't know if I'm adequate. I don't know if I have significance. I don't know if I'm making a contribution. I don't know if I can handle it if I disappoint somebody. Is that dangerous? Often I need somebody else to talk through, to explore. As iron sharpens iron, we're told. We need other to help us sort out, what am I believing? How am I interpreting this? What do I expect? And when I find out that what I'm afraid of, one, is common, and two, isn't physically dangerous to me, then I can take some other action. A piece of that is to calm myself. We're going to wrap up in just a couple of minutes. I want to read the 23rd Psalm to, to conclude. I'd like you to, as you listen, think about how the shepherd is calming his sheep. How do I calm myself? How do I take my attention off of what ifs to be right here, right now? To, I find often if I share it with a safe other, I start to calm. I name the threat. I need to define the boundaries of what's me and what's not me. I'm afraid someone's disappointed in me. That could be disappointing that they're disappointed, okay? But their disappointment isn't me. That's not me. Internal boundary, what's me, what's not me, their experience is theirs. They're a separate person from me. If they have that experience, that's them. That's not me. What they experience doesn't define me. That's their experience. My external boundaries, what I will do or what I won't do. Well, if I realize they're disappointed, I choose what to do. They don't have a remote control to me. As I start to sort this out, oh, the fear is coming down. And then boundaries of responsibility. I am responsible for how I take care of me and, and treat them, but I'm not responsible for their experience or how they treat other people or even how they treat themselves. That's theirs. I accept my responsibility, that's my dignity. I respect their responsibility for themselves. That's their dignity, my freedom. As I'm sorting this out, my fears are coming down. I'm bringing love into the story. How am I bringing love into the story? Love is seeking and doing good for the loved one. As I'm seeking good, I am taking an action. I may not please them. That may be accurate. They are disappointed in me. But I can identify what I did do. I did good towards them. Whatever that might be. Love is going to be the 
response that's going to diminish and resolve our fear. It's going to take a lot of different forms. But we're moving away from the what ifs to the action of loving, present tense verb. But it's hard to give what I don't, haven't received. And that's where the shepherd comes in. One of the things the shepherd can do, chase away wolves and mountain lions and such. But a lot of times probably the sheep don't even know he's doing it. Because sheep are in sheep world. But the shepherd knows each sheep, knows them, and can care for them as each one needs. How do I receive love from the shepherd? Well, that's what we were talking about this morning, this idea of how do I develop intimacy? How do I receive? Our tendency when we're fearful is to take some kind of action to either get away, flee, or to fight. And I'm proposing, rather than fight or flee, love and be loved. And with that, let me just read part of Psalm 23. Imagine you're the sheep, and this is how you're treated. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So how do I resolve the fear? I receive the loving response of the shepherd. Comfort, protection, love cast out fear. Time for a question or two as we wrap it up. So is there a time, you know, we read the Bible, do not be afraid. Um, so is there a time as a Christian, as a trained Christian, we get to the point where we don't fear anymore because we accept God's love so completely? Or is this uh, a tension that always exists? It's a tension that's going to always exist. We walk in faith in this life. We don't arrive in this life. And as we walk in faith, new challenges come. And where do I receive my comfort? Do I go back to my childish ways, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13? Do I go back and I try to control it through one of the four A's? Or do I comfort myself by leaning into being loved and choosing to love in this setting? And our maturation process continues on all the way until he calls us home. Uh-huh. Dr. Green, you said that beliefs influence fear. And I absolutely agree with that. You also said that there are fears that are beyond our beliefs. Can yes. Can you elaborate on that somewhat? We have many fears that are precognitive 
the body responds before the thought even occurs. Um, we, we see that even children that are just weeks old will have a fear of falling when they're put on a glass that they have, uh, in the experimental paradigm, there's a drop-off, but the baby doesn't understand glass yet. And the baby's never been dropped yet, but somehow the baby is afraid of it. So we come wired with a fear response. We're sheep. We also, through life experiences, traumatic experiences, other types of experiences, unmet need experiences, etc., we learn to be afraid of some things that we may intellectually say, this is not dangerous to me, but I'm frozen when it happens. And it happens before I can even think about it. The person with very strong social anxiety can say, it's okay, I'll never see these people again. They don't care, da-da-da-da-da. And their name is called to give the class their little three-minute talk in the class. And they're frozen. They can't get out of their chair. All of their thinking hasn't made it possible to overcome that fear in that moment. God designed us more than a brain. We are a whole, including a body, that has its own reactions, that our brain influences, but we don't have full control over ourselves at all. And that's why we have to walk in faith. So with that example, you know, the, the reframing of belief isn't the answer to being able to get out of a chair. What is, how do you help somebody believe? So reframing the belief might be part of it, and also, um, taking action to do that which I'm afraid of with help and support. Sometimes I have to do it and experience it for the fear to diminish. And that's so true in relationships. I have to take the risk to share I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid to tell you I'm afraid. But when I do it, I can tell myself this will be fine, but I, my heart's still racing. I'm still real reluctant. I'm sweating profusely. My whole body's reacting, but I have to do it for the fear start to diminish. That makes a lot of sense. And that also seems to be walking in faith. Yes. Right? Yes. Stepping out. Right. And I step out in faith out of love for what is good. Yes. 